Welcome to Black Girl from Eugene. This is Aisha Elliott, and I am recording on 97.3 KEPW, Eugene's local radio station with my underwriter. Thank you so much for supporting the show. We are going live on Facebook as we speak, and I am here with Lanisha Duke of the Oregon Rural Network, and we're going to have a discussion around the work that she's doing that is pivotal for the uh, safety, recognition, diversity work, and, uh, and really fulfillment of the black community in, this, in these rural parts of Oregon and other places too. We'll get into that in just a moment. So let's go live on Facebook. And y'all know how this goes because it's rough every time. Let's see how we do. Okay, Lanisha, here we are. We are going to do it. It's happening. And now we're, what we're going to do is record on Zoom. <laughs> recording in progress. Okay, it has notified us of our recording in progress. This is Aisha. I am Aisha Elliott. This is Black Girl from Eugene. And my guest, Lanisha Duke, has joined us. Thank you. Are you in Tillamook right now? I am in Rockaway Beach right now, but I'm in Tillamook County. Rockaway Beach. Okay. So before we get started, I do have a couple shout outs that I'd like to do uh, for my folks at home. And for some reason, I'm not hearing our Facebook feed. And for all of you who know that I am into astrology, I have a feeling that Mercury Retrograde is kicking my butt as we speak. So we will, um, I'm going to keep moving forward. Oh, there we are. Okay, cool. Yay. So, um, it's working. I'm sorry, Mercury, Mercury Retrograde, don't come get me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, right now, I want to give a shout out. Today is October 10th, and today is my son, who has turned 26 years old today. He, I, I cannot believe I have a full-grown, full, I have two full-grown children. So, um Congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm so proud of Quentin. Um, I love you, baby. Happy birthday. And right now, you know, as they get older, the less and less you see them for their birthday. So I think the next time we have our birthday dinner will probably be in November. But he is, uh, I just wanted to give a shout out to him and happy birthday. And mama loves you. You know how proud I am of you. And, um, and today's Sunday, October 10th is a very special day for my entire family. Um, also, I wanted to give a shout out to my Patreons who continue to support me even through these ups and downs of the last couple months. Um, and I appreciate the support and the love and the donations that keep this podcast going. Please uh, stay with me. We are, uh, I have some new things coming out in, for Instagram soon. And any, any updates that are coming through, follow me on Instagram so that you can see what's happening next. I'll be doing videos there shortly um, in the next few weeks. Uh, that is all of my announcements for today. So I want to get directly into you, your story, and everything that you're doing. Lanisha, I am excited that you are here. Um, Me too. Yes, thank you for coming. I want So before we get jump in, I want to introduce you a little bit. And you and I actually, you know what, I'm gonna let you introduce like what you want people to know about you. And then we're going to get into everything I know. <laughs> So, and all the work that we that you've been doing throughout Oregon and throughout really the Pacific Northwest and Utah and other places all over the place. So, um, Lanisha Duke, 
please uh and to our to my pleasure please introduce yourself all right well thank you aisha for having me uh good morning everyone i am so honored and humbled to be here with you today my name is lanisha duke i am am uh, a resident of Tillamook County. I have been here for seven years now. I grew up in Southern California, primarily in Redondo Beach. I graduated from high school in Manhattan Beach. Okay. I've been in the Pacific Northwest since 2001. I'm a fourth generation preacher's kid. And so my parents' ministry moved us to the Seattle area uh, and moved to the coast on a list of what I wanted my life to look like, a Google search and a prayer. And I moved here sight unseen. I had never been here before, did not know one person when I got here. And the journey has been all the way authentic, uh, raw, not easy, wonderful, beautiful. Uh, and I still continue to be so thankful um, that my purpose led me here. Oh, you know what? I Okay, so the first thing I want to say <laughs> is... It's just like us black folks to be like, it's awful. It's hard, it is beautiful. We see both sides of the struggle as necessary and beautiful. I'm so happy that you, that the energy, God, it, it led you to this area because we need the fortitude uh, for black rural communities. That is something that I feel like as I was looking through your work, and I was, I mean, you know, we're Facebook friends and I'm like, you know, right. Facebook. And I'm thinking to myself, like, you're, you are a DEI facilitator and, or an educator. I am a DEI uh, consultant and educator. The one thing that you said is, and I said, it's absolutely true. We don't really think about the commu black community in rural, in the rural community, in the rural spaces of Oregon and or the Pacific Northwest, which is the majority of actually the state is an actual majority rural state. We have very small pockets of your urban areas. So tell me, like, I, I realized you came here sight unseen, which girl. <laughs> all I the, did. There are some people that still think I'm crazy. Girl, look, all the faith <laughs> in the world. I, okay. <laughs> she came sight unseen. Um, so what, what, tell me when you did, when you came, I mean, cause you're coming from Southern California, that is not a rural, you are not in a rural situation. I mean, what, what drew, what drew you to this calling? Uh, I can't, you know, it's very interesting because my mom and I talk a lot <coughs> about how my lived experience is so different from my upbringing, right? Yes. I grew up very city. I grew up very LA in the eighties and nineties. Um, my dad's, my dad and my dad's family, his parents lived in Mississippi. And I'll never forget when I was a young girl going to Lorman, Mississippi and thinking these people are crazy, right? They're on 40 acres. They got cows, pigs, goats, horses, this, you know, garden, this, that. And I'm sitting here like, um, where is, no, this is not <laughs> washing machine outside where you have to turn it. Uh, and I thought it was so foreign because it, it was not something that I was accustomed to. And it's been a really interesting journey. So I was in Seattle for 13 years. The last year that I was in Washington State, I was in Redmond, uh, in a rural area, actually, in the rural part of Redmond. And it really began uh, to soften my heart, one, to nature, mm. and really being appreciative 
space to breathe, mm-hmm. to be. Uh, and when I moved to the coast, again, I had no idea where I was coming to, right? Right. Uh, I knew it was the beach. I knew it was the West Coast. I knew it was Oregon. But I did not know that it would be it was rural. And I didn't really understand what that meant. Did you understand that it was so white? Well, the Pacific Northwest, yes. But what I did not know was that I would encounter so many people. Now, again, I grew up in white homogenous communities. Okay. uh, Growing up Redondo Beach. Uh, when I graduated from uh, high school in Manhattan Beach, there were 32 black kids in my school out of 1,700, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. My corporate experience, I'm used to being one of the few black people, but nothing could have prepared me <laughs> to come to a place where people just had never seen anyone that looks like me before. Okay. Uh, I I did not understand until I was here, like, oh, this is a thing. right? And it's an experience that is unique for me to Oregon, right? I've traveled across the country. She said, I lived in Utah. I've lived in Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, and sure, there's, you know, there's still limited diversity, but there is some, but not to the extent to where I know that I am the first black person that a lot of people in my community have been able to have a conversation with. Right, because there's exposure. I mean, like, just like when I I lived in Texas, um, that was the most black folks that I had gone to school with ever because I grew up mostly here and until I was about 15. And then I moved to Central America um, and then I moved to Texas. And so when I moved to Texas, um, it was the same thing you're saying. I thought I was going to a black school because we have black people. And they were like, girl, this is the whitest school in you know, in Harris County, like this is this is the white you go to the white school and I'm like, do I like, you know, but the thing was, was that the white folks were exposed to black people, even if it wasn't in the school, the city, every there was black folks around, there was brown folks around. So when you come here, it's very interesting that exactly with what you're saying is the truth of it is, is that we don't know. What, the where the black folks really are. I mean, there's no black folks here to have even had that discussion or or had that exposure for anybody, even like brown folks, really. Like I'm looking for my, like I have brown friends. When I say brown, I'm talking about anything that's not black, honestly. And then that's not white. And they, but still far and few between, but they keep their communities very close, right? They have their, what they do. But then when the black communities here that we're so, dis, we're so spread out, the, the few of us that are here, we don't even know we're here. Right. And um, even to that point, you know, everywhere else I've lived, my connection has been black church. Right. Mm, And mm -hmm. so traditionally, black church has been the community for black people. No matter where we lived, Mm -hmm. we still had a place to come, not on Sundays, but Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You Mm -hmm. know, whenever we wanted to commune together, we always had that space Mm -hmm. and that's another thing i think that is missing from oregon traditionally is that space for black church sure there are black churches in portland um but i grew up in the ame denomination african methodist episcopal church and there's only one ame church in the whole state of oregon right yeah and um i did not know the history of oregon until i moved here Mm. i was uh reading a historic novel that i got from the library in cannon beach and it was talking about the migration from people from Missouri 
uh, to Oregon. And it talks about the exclusion law. And I put the book down and I was on Google for the next three weeks. So I was like, is this real? You know, and I was trying to find something that says, no, this is just part of the fiction, part of the story. You know, and I was like, oh, no, this is a thing. Like, this was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, this is real. This is actually going on. growing up in Oregon, like, well, with you growing up in Oregon, when did you find out about the exclusion law? Oh, well, first of all, I lived it. <laughs> my parents got, my parents moved here um in 1970 i want to say one so it was just new that they were allowing black folks in the city anyway and like in the last 15 years before they moved were they allowing black folks into the city limits and like recognizing black folks there so it wasn't that i understood the law as in like technically this was an exclusion law it was like these are the rules and this is where we're living and this is what is goes on here but my family, my parents were uh, kind of revolutionary and, and to like, they didn't, they didn't follow the church for one. And because they my that was something very different when they came here. They came here and the idea of like really against the, the idea of, of regulatory schools. They wanted to open a free school. They wanted to do like a, and they were coming from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, both my parents were from St. Louis. And so these these folks were. Um, people who had created an organization about black artists in, in a black artist group in St. Louis. So when they came here, they had a whole different idea about being in Eugene and starting like, you know, what it meant to be living with, with beautiful surroundings outward, like, you know, fresh water, like the mountains, all of these things. And so it wasn't, it wasn't with the same idea of like, they didn't know it was an, an idea of like we're going to come here and create something and so and i think that's basically how it happened for me it was just i knew i knew right we came in the very early days of those things when i was born you know 1977 it was you know i don't think i ever had another black person in my class ever until I, unless it was my sister um I'm trying to think the first time I had someone who was, that I recognized as black. I'm like, <laughs> maybe, wow. maybe seventh grade, but they, they came in, she was biracial and very scared. And she came in and was gone, like within the year, I think. Um, and that was, I lived in Cottage Grove, which was even worse. And then I came back here. I say it was worse because the hippie culture Back in the day, the not seeing color was working, right? Uh, when you're 10, it's probably better that we don't have these discussions because I don't know, this is going to be very alienating for me if we have these discussions, right? When you're, you're, you're 7 or 8 or 9. Back in the day, obviously now that I've, I, have, I have much more knowledge about what that means, it doesn't work the same way. But, you know, my parents just had a different approach to this work. So the, so the exclusion laws were not were not new, the language around the exclusion laws became real uh, as I got older and learning it in that way, if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. So now trust me, when I went to Texas, people were like, so I didn't even know black folks were in Oregon. <laughs> they were like, 
Why do you? I get, yeah, I get this. Like, that's what I hear every day, right? Yes, yes. That's what I hear every day. Like, there's a there's black people in in Manzanita in Tillamook County, and I'm like, actually, yes, there are. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, now, do, tell me if you get this question back from your family back in California. It's like, why why do you stay there? <laughs> oh, uh, for yeah. It, well, it's interesting. I think like my mom. Uh, and some of my family have gotten used, like I've been here seven years now, right? Uh, yeah, right. And I've, I've established my community and I came here seeking community mm -hmm. and I'm very thankful. Um, and I know that my experience is unique as a brown skinned woman in this county. I know that not everyone has a wonderful experience here because they are different for many reasons, even outside of the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm thankful that I feel protected here, mm -hmm. right? Um, in a way that sometimes when I'm traveling across the state, I know that I have to look over my shoulder and just be more aware, mm -hmm. right? Because, in, you know, um, there's so much happening in in Oregon, some that we know about, some things that we don't. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, you know, I would, I've thought, thought about moving and I really can't tell you, like, if there's anywhere else I'd rather be, but right here. Oh, Ralph, now, girl, you're going to talk more about that because, um, <laughs> because I, we all need to know. <laughs> um, I, because, you know, I, I love the way that you've come here. Um, I think it says a lot to be an established, centered black woman um, and then show up, right? It's different, I would say, and I, I would stretch this because of my own personal experience, to have been fighting this racist environment as a child. It's very much a, uh, it's very much a trauma that children of color have to overcome who have, been, who have been raised here without like robust community to pull them in and see their beauty or to to try to empower their abilities so it's traumatic right so for me and and people that i know were spent time here as younger folks even older folks if you were not an established individual of who you are like you know your worth your worth you know your value you walk into this place and there's not a whole lot that people are going to be able to say to you that's going to question who you are as a as a person you're going to look at them being like, what is happening here that you would even say that to me, right? <laughs> right. So it's a different approach. So I want to, I'd love for you to talk more about that because, and I, and it, I know it goes directly into your Oregon uh, rural network um, I, because I just, I see there's so many other perspectives. Like I see full grown uh, people of color who come into Oregon and turn right back around because they're just like, I can't, this is not a place I, I can flourish in. But as you see it, you're like, I can create something here. So, so please tell me more because I need to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you, I did not come here to Oregon to be a spokesperson for being black in a rural space. Okay. Right? Um, so that is not why I came here. My list was very organic. I wanted to be somewhere where I, I knew my neighbors. I wanted to live near the water um i wanted to live somewhere that i could live simple but well mm -hmm. right and so those were the things that were leading me uh in this journey of where i was going to land uh but once i got here 
<laughs> we're like, oh, uh, and I just, and you know, people would say all the time, well, you're always talking about race. And I'm like, no, the number one question I get every time I meet somebody is how does somebody that looks like me end up here? So I am always asked about um, my life as it relates to the color of my skin. And I don't shy away from those conversations. Mm-hmm. I also think that it is an opportunity to grow with people. You know what I'm saying? To share experiences, um, not just looking at what you see in the news, what we see on te- you know, on television, uh, movies, not seeing, you know, but just like tangible. Mm-hmm. Not everybody looks the same way, acts the same way. Uh, we all come um, to, to wherever we are with a different background, different experience. And just to be able to share. Uh, I started cooking soul food shortly after I moved here. And so being able to, to be in people's homes, um, frying chicken, making collard greens, red beans and rice, black eyed peas, Ooh. you know, cornbread. Yes, um, <laughs> It's easy to build relationships when you have a good meal in front of you, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, uh, I had never been called the N-word in my life until I moved to Tillamook County. And when right. that happened, I was 39 years old. And I will never forget, uh, It w- we were at a local establishment and it was said, and I was, you know, just trying to ignore it because I believe you have to pick your battles, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes you don't have to sweat the small stuff, even when it seems big. But in the grand scheme of things, I was just trying to have dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, you know, they were going to 86 the person. And I said, that's not going to teach them anything. Uh, and come to find out, you know, the person really didn't know how to, to approach a conversation. Uh, the person is now someone I consider part of my community, right? But it's helping disarm people with gentle, kind truth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, granted, I fight our systems hard. When our school systems fail our kids, I fight hard. When our health systems fail our communities, not just our community of color, but our community in rural, I fight hard. But with my neighbors, um, my ex-husband did grew up in Wheeler and did not meet a person, a black person, until he was twenty. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. So at I, at some point, I'm like, okay, I can't fault you all the way for your ignorance. Right. But if you're willing to talk about it and learn and grow together, let's create those safe spaces to do that. You know, it's funny because um, I have these conversations with other black leaders in the community, not this community, but other like out of Oregon communities. And they ask me about white folks here all the time and the the level of ignorance and how like just because at this point in 2021, it's kind of like, you know, what is it's irresponsible to be that ignorant. And then when I tell them that these white folks really now. It's not for everyone and it's not an excuse, but there are white folks here who have never seen in 2021 have ever been in community with anyone other than white folks. And they literally have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> and, they, and, you know, and they, they're the, the folks I'm talking to, you know, other leaders of, of color, other influencers and, uh, and they're like, looking at me like, like, huh? Like how, what? Like people live that secluded? Yes. People live that secluded. Now, I am the same way. I don't have any, uh, none of my, none of my purpose was 
was to in my when I, in my younger days was to guide white folks or or people of color or anybody through the the conversations of race, diversity, and equity, right? Yet here I am based in my lived experience and my education. It's my passion. Like you said, it, it, why are you always talking about race? It is my life, right? It's my existence. It's my, it's, it's my past. It's my future. It, so I also say, you know, very well that in the Pacific Northwest, it's, it's a strange feeling to have been abused by the white folks here and still understand how ignorant the white folks here are. Right and very passive in their ignorance. <laughs> a girl, like I'm, I'm like, mm. and and the, the truth of it is, is that sometimes you get folks who, like you said, pick your battle. Sometimes it's, it's worth the conversation. Other times it is not worth the conversation. It is not worth my time, and and I move on. Right. Well, I was just gonna say. And that's really how the Black Rule Network came to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working uh, on a contract this year earlier, and uh, in some of those conversations, I brought up, you know, we do a, we're doing, we're starting to do a better job of being culturally responsive to our Spanish-speaking population. Mm-hmm. You know, Hispanic, Mexican, Latinx, um, however people identify. Um, themselves, but at the same time, there are other people of color in our community that deserve to have conversations about some culturally responsive, specific um, things, especially when it relates to health equity um, in our school systems. And I was I was told to my face that there were not enough Black people to have those conversations in our community. <laughs> Girl, look. And that was like, and that was a white woman sitting in power saying that to me, a Black woman. And that was really a defining moment for me, right? I have, I've been working in my community uh, really since I've been here. It's been all organic. I didn't ask for the job, but I showed up to the, day, to the, ta- to the task, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I started doing how to talk about race in rural communities last year because it is a very different conversation living in a county where there are 27,000 people and less than 1% of our population is black, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there's so many other different dynamics. Um, but that being said to me was like, okay, one, I know that there are black people in our community, especially you know with our kids and families. Mm-hmm. And then I said, I know maybe I'm not the only person that is experiencing this in a rural space because they keep saying we're not here. And yet I've been here for seven years and my community knows that. And I just don't talk about what it's like to be black in rural. I also understand, you know, that we have a housing situation here primarily due to um, to the tourism, uh, growing tourism market. Uh, you know, like hunger is still, people experiencing hunger is still an issue. Almost a third of our, our kids are homeless in our school systems, uh, we need better broadband. You know, there are so many other things that affect rural life. The fact that people think that it's still okay to pay $12, even $15 an hour to try to afford or to live in these spaces in service industries without providing the support. So even people who are bartending and house cleaning can elevate themselves and move into professional spaces, right? That come with health insurance, that come with stability that come with home ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I go across the board in my advocacy work, but with the Black Girl Network specifically, one, it was, I wonder if there are Black folks living rural that feel alienated, right? Um, that it's, you know, I, when I see Black folks in our community, I try to acknowledge their presence, if nothing else, you know, and just be a, hey, how you doing? I was raised that way. When you see black folks, you just acknowledge their presence. Um, I, I was raised that way. And to really build that community, right? So we, one, we have community within ourselves because there are things and experiences, uh, language that black folks understand in a way um, that is culturally specific to being a black person. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to really help get folks engaged. My phone rang off the hook every day after George Floyd was murdered Mm -hmm. on May 25th of last year. I was the only black person so many people in so many spaces knew, right? Um, And it became a burden for me to be black Mm. uh, in 2020. But I was like, no, there are other people with wonderful professional backgrounds, with lived experiences. All black folks are not disadvantaged. That narrative that we hear I'm not disadvantaged, you know, I'm not all these negative things. I come from resilience. I come from, like, from strength, from wisdom, from grace. Um, And throughout the struggle, we are still triumphant, right? So even help changing that narrative. Most black folks that live in rural, they own their homes, Mm -hmm. right? And so, but yet they still, there's still space to have their voices being heard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's so much that you've said that um, is what I'm literally teaching to white folks all the time is understanding the perspective of white supremacist culture and everything that you just described that white, how white folks imagine you to be is everything that white supremacist culture insists that we are, right? And so understanding how the, the culture of white supremacy uh, will have us believing that black folks in rural communities are lost, poor, illiterate, um, uh, uh, there, that there isn't any, you know, and if you are, there's something wrong with you, right? And, if, and, those, and those spaces of, of um, uh, the, the level of education the level of resilience, like what resilience actually means. Is it in response to racism as if racism isn't coming from our systems, isn't coming from our environment, as if racism is not coming from your perspective of how I even showed up in this space, right? So the idea for me, understanding that in Oregon, you, you stated something that has been experienced by me more, like almost verbatim, uh, more than once talking to a white woman in power that says, why are we talking about race? There's not any black people here. And I, as a black woman, am standing right in front of you. <laughs> and, I, and at that point, not only are you dismissing my experience and dismissing all of my family's experience, you're stating that there is at some level a threshold of when you need to behave responsibly, right? There is no threshold to being equitable. It doesn't matter if a black person never walks through your door, you need to be able to be culturally responsive and understand where racism lies within your body, right? And so teaching 
that is uh, is something that in in Oregon it really is it really is um, it really is not it's not a, it's not an idea of like I how does racism lie within our bodies it you're in you are a United States citizen racism is as American as American pie I mean as apple pie all of us have an intimate relationship to racism even people of color we have a relationship to racism we have a relationship to white supremacy right now what that relationship is is where is where the work actually happens so in this idea of our relationship to racism as you show up with this hope of of and this in this ability to bridge and and really the energy and like the passion to be the the very the very core core of Christianity is love thy neighbor, right? So with you coming into this idea of like I'm gonna come in and and do just that is is something that um, that in in ways if you think about the narrative in which we just spoke, why do we have to have diversity diversity and inclusion when there are no black people here? That is, it's so, it's, it's so, um, <laughs> I mean. Well, and what people don't realize, we're preparing the way, right? Um, will there ever be a mass in, influx of black folks in Oregon? Who no. Knows? No, um, But for the people who choose to be here for whatever reason, whether they come in and teach in our schools, whether they're coming to enjoy the nature that we have, right? And even, uh, um, for whatever reason, making sure that they um, are able to live wholly and freely in whatever community that of their choosing, right? That's and, all right. Um, and even when it comes to racism and white supremacy, what I try to help people understand is it's not it's not so much for me pointing to everyone has racism, like a racist bone in their body, specifically white folks, but we have all experienced the trauma of racism, right? That can be our common denominator to start a conversation about race. Um, I learned a term several years ago through an article that I wrote for, for a local um, publication called Epigenetics. Oh yeah. And epigenetics talks about um, how our environment and just the things that have happened generationally through our bloodline, it doesn't manipulate our DNA, but it attaches ourself, itself to our DNA. For instance, um, the article I wrote was on why black people don't swim, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and it started off just being a loose conversation about when I actually had longer hair, I had a standing Saturday 7 a.m. appointment every Saturday to get my hair pressed. I had it straight every Saturday, right, for the week. And so I was like, why would I pay, sit through the chairs, to get my hair straightened, <laughs> mm -hmm. and then go jump in a pool? Like, <laughs> um, and, and my friend, different white children, he challenged me to, to, to dig a little deeper. And then I thought, I really thought about um, my mom's generation, my mom. Uh, and my grandparents, right? When they were coming up, it was against the law for black folks to have access to beaches. It was against the law for black people to be able to own the homes that had swimming pools in the back of it. 
it wasn't until 1973, I believe, that the YMCA was fully forced to desegregate their pools mm -hmm. uh, from a case stemming from two black cousins in Alabama. And so uh, we didn't have access to the water, right? Uh, not to be comfortable enough with it. But then you think even backwards, there was um, in Africa on the coastline, I just read um, an article the other day about the coast of Sierra Leone mm -hmm. and how um, erosion is taking away the coast of Sierra Leone and pushing everything inland. Um, the coast in Africa used to be like the coast here in Oregon, right? It was a wellspring of life. They fished, they swam, they were, there was no fear of the water, of right? There was a relationship with the water and the same body of water that used to be a source of life became a death trap. Mm -hmm. And I think that fear, right, from way back then, had a, it's, it's been traveling with us. And it wasn't until I was like, oh, like that can actually be a thing that I've been carrying around this trauma that it's not mine directly, but through every birth and pain right. that got me here, right? That's right? That trauma has attached itself to that, to that line. And so now um, that I'm aware of the trauma, I can begin to heal from it. And this is that's exactly how epigenetics works. Uh, you know, you can suppress or or release the, the trauma from your past, right? And so, and it's, it's absolutely genetically uh, modified, but not like what exactly is how you. It's kind of attached to it instead of like completely, um, you uh, completely changing it. However. The studies of an epigenetic, it goes literally both ways, right? So in that same idea of trauma, with that same idea of that, that uh, recognizing societally, right? Because my, my research is in behavioral studies, right? So when I say, you know, you, everyone has a relationship and we have racism in our bodies, that is exactly what I'm speaking of, is that there is a response to the behavior and to societal impacts of that behavior that go generations back. I mean, we don't even have to talk about epigenetics if you want to talk about just storytelling of protection, of direction, of hierarchy, of friendship building. Of I mean, all of those things are extremely relevant to how without a, you, that feeling you have in your body when you're like, it didn't feel right, I don't know what to say, when you saw someone be assaulted verbally with the N-word and someone who didn't thought, it, we knew it was bad, the person was okay, they just kind of walked away, so I didn't know what to say, I didn't say anything, and I thought about it later and I just kind of dismissed it and, you know, whatever. Or the idea that racism has to be that blatant. It doesn't have to be that blatant. Racism isn't always and mostly isn't that blatant, right? <laughs> you know, it's, you know, there's very, very subtle spaces of racism that, we just believe are normal, and I'm air quoting normal, like this is just the way we do it here. No, that's also racist. And that belief that your family has, has taught, that, that, that genetically uh, um, programmed response of superiority is the same the other direction, right? And it can also be healed. And so it's, it's, one, of those, it's one of those dynamics where, and this is what, 
this is where I was getting to earlier was that none of us are are without trauma from this from this uh, this social this social construct. impairment it's a construct. Social, it's a social construct, right? Yes, yeah. It's not just in this country; it's a global pandemic. It's a global. It's a. It's right. called. It's colonization, right? Yeah. And it, and it's the reality of our. It's it's our reality. Ever since you and I have ever walked this earth. Yeah, and even one of the things for me um, in my spirituality, in my faith, and what I believe mm. God to be for me. I don't allow people to remove value from my life, right? Period. Um, and so when people say, well, how can you live where you live? I'm like, because I deserve to be here. Why not? What is there to say that I don't belong here? Okay, black people like fresh air and green trees. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I'm going to be honest. Fresh food. <laughs> I did not know how to build a fire before I moved here, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't know. I didn't know. I had only camped, I think, once before I moved here. Mm-hmm. Um, and now, let me tell you, I can go camping by myself. Hey. Um, and I'm slowly learning the tools. And one of the things, even I've never grown a vegetable a day in my life, but I grew up in Redondo Beach. Don't fault me for it. Right. right. <laughs> these are, these are original. The relationship to the earth. I was going to say, this, this is a, what you're talking about is, is original black. Right. This is what we. This is what has been removed from us that you're bringing back into your life, and then connecting through the Oregon Rural Network, the Black Rural Network. The, I'm sorry, the Black Rural Network. I keep saying Oregon. Why do I keep doing that? Because uh, we're all over Oregon. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> the, I'm like, why is that? Okay, the Black Rural Network, y'all. You, what you're doing is. I mean, for me, this is how I see it. What you just said, growing food from the earth, tilling the earth, I mean, our hands in the dirt, like you said, the relationship to the water, the relationship to the stars, this, was, this is centered in blackness, right? This is our heritage. This is our ancestry. This is what Mainly we... Mainly Benjamin Banneker. If folks don't know who that is, Google that name, Benjamin Banneker. Uh, yes. I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're right on. I'm even going further than that. I'm talking about even further before we were taken from our original spaces and brought yes. here. Right. This is what has been taken from us and appropriated. And now we're getting back to the center of things. And so for you with the Black Rural Network, being able to recognize and highlight that this is something you're reconnecting with, even on a spiritual level, is very profound. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I, and I'm thankful that I'm around community, right, that I can begin to learn. And one of the things in building the Black Rural Network, I've had conversations about how do we even bridge the relationship with our um, Native brothers and sisters, yes. right? Um, because they still have that innate ability to connect to the land, right? That is their ritual for healing, mm-hmm. for for life, for so much, for pers- um, perseverance. Um, and, you know, even being able to teach our kids how to fish mm-hmm. um, and how to preserve and to can. And, you know what I'm saying? All this stuff that most people live off, off their bounty from the summer, fall months, spring, summer, fall, and the winter, right? And it's this process of seeing things rooted and planted, planted and rooted, um, and then life coming from it, right? There's so much in um, being connected to the land 
to the earth that's connected to our well-being and yes. how just the evolution of life works that i really believe um it's part of our, our missing link our missing story right um to be to being able to continue to fulfill and thrive off the promises of this country i love it and i believe in it um and i of course am all being who i am am always like this is this is like like, like what you said this is not something that this was your this was ours originally this is something that we have to that is healing meaning that it we're, we're i in my perspective when i hear you and i see you and i and i'm looking at all the work that you're doing you know um i mean just i'm as you're talking i'm sitting here writing things down about just the work that you the way that you're approaching your work um to to build this foundation on you know common ground of of human of being human of being seen and this is work for me you know i'm i'm teaching the how did we get here i'm teaching the context i'm teaching the the what what's the what are the the what are the roadblocks how do we remove them uh you have to first recognize them and so uh the idea that understanding how connecting indigenous connecting back right all of these things were not are not new they're broken and so it requires healing indigenous connection with black people is not new the black connection to asian community is not new or over right uh the latin and, and mexican community specifically here in the united states with black community has been broken it was not new for us to to come together uh, as a group we were together as a group right we did support each other it we were not different in terms of of meeting each other and and supporting each other and empowering each other in our own authentic in our own authenticity right and being able to stay very much in those roles until something something comes along right and this has been broken and so you're returning back to where we belong, where what has been taken, and what has been forgotten, you're bringing that back. And to me, um, teaching along the way can be very healing. And I'm hoping that you know, like you said, you're only one person. I'm hoping within this network that that um, that you are feeling, and you said you are, so I'm feeling good. But that you're supported by other Black and Brown Indigenous folks who are seeing your work and, and hopefully embracing you with all the, uh, the profound healing that's coming along with remembering who we were in the past and bringing it back to our present. Yeah, I will tell you, I'm, I'm so thankful by the support of not just the black community, but anyone who's invested, right, in, in really seeing restorative justice taken to a new level, mm -hmm. right, and, what, and, and reimagining what that can look like, um, really in this in this postmodern era because mm. with the access to technology and and the access to each other in so many different ways the access to education the access to knowledge is um really what i'm about uh and so with the network yes we're going to be doing a lot of educating i'm thankful to the ford family foundation uh yes. who took my thought and said we're going to help make it a reality for you and they were the seed that helped grow this network 
um, thankful to Oregon Community Foundation, Marcy Hadley, um, Marcy Bradley, I'm sorry, and the folks at OCF with the Black Student Success Network. They're doing great work across the state. So many organizations, right, that are really focusing on empowering and uplifting and building up our black students across the state. Um, Rural Development Initiatives, RDI, not a black organization, but an organization who is wanting to partner with us to walk alongside of us and make sure that we can take their, um, we're gonna be working with RDI to adapt and make culturally specific to the Black Girl Network, their civic engagement training and their leadership development training, right? So that we can start um, helping people become informed on our processes before they take the power seat, right? Let's be dedicated in this. I believe that part of our systemic problem in our systems is that they are now so convoluted we don't have we don't pay attention to it because it's so overwhelming. We don't understand the process. Sure, we know to get out to vote, but we don't. We, I don't think myself included. We know, we don't understand why we're voting anymore. Right. Or right. We look at the who. We look at what party they're from. Um, we look at the buzzwords either piss us off or make us happy. Um, <laughs> and we're we're staying so superficial that we've lost the substance of of how our systems got here mm-hmm. and how they need to connect to move forward, mm-hmm. right? And so it's really about educating people. Here's how policy is written. Here's what our county commissioners are responsible for. Here's what the school board folks should and should not be doing, right? Here's what the state says, the law says, and then being empowered. So when they're out talking to their neighbors, whether they're black, white, indigenous, Latinx, whoever, right? right? That's that right. Educ- it's just moving forward. It's it's really it's just I got it. Now we can talk about it and you can be more informed and we can start making more informed communities. That you know, that's what that's where it starts, is it not? Right? The information, the context. How did we get here? How are we moving forward? Why is this important to you? <laughs> Let's really understand what this does for our for your future, for your for your present, for your children. For your well-being, um, you know, and I—it's—I just want—I—I I mean, like, kudos, congratulations. I'm—I'm I'm happy. I'm donating. I'm like, let me know where you're at. Um, all of the the links that you have to donate to your to your efforts across Oregon and across Washington and all of the states that you plan on having this network built for Black folks living in rural communities and to support Black leadership in rural communities. Please uh, leave it with me, and we'll add it to uh, to the uh, to the show notes in my on my podcast page, and I'll put it onto my uh, onto my page here uh, with Facebook page, so people can help you know, so people can know follow you, so people can know what's actually happening in the rural communities through the Black Network, uh, Black uh, Rural Network, because it, we are here, and not only are we here in the cities. But we are here at the coast. We are here in the woods. We are here in the mountains. Um, Let me tell you, I just went to Enterprise and Joseph, Oregon, right? There are black folks in frontier land in Oregon. Gwendolyn Trice, um, she has the Maxfield Heritage Museum oh, where she me. is looking to preserve the town of Maxfield. Bless you. Um, sharing the history of logging in this state, right? Her dad was one of the first black loggers um, in the state of Oregon. She grew up in Grande, 
even I've been to Cave Junction. There's black folks in Cave Junction, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's like we've got to help change the narrative. We are here. We are vested members of our community. We love our communities. Do we understand the problems of our communities, including what it's like to be black in them? Yes. But guaranteed, when we help ourselves, we are helping our greater community as well every single time. That's right. That's right. And I love that. So someone here in the chat asked, uh, Joy, thanks for asking. If someone wants to make a donation, how can we do that? Um, let's see. So the nonprofit, our official name is Humble Beginnings. Black Rule Network is the is the project of Humble Beginnings. Okay. Uh, I'll give you P.O. Box 514. I'm sorry, P.O. Box 538 in Manzanita, Oregon, 97130. Or you can shoot me an email at uh i'll do the easy one coastal soul nw at gmail.com black rule network is on facebook i'm on linkedin i'm on twitter i'm on instagram lanisha duke la capital n-i-c-i-a um google me find me there's so many different ways um okay did you say coastal soul nw at gmail okay yes so C-O-A-S-T-A-L-S-O-U-L-N-W. Okay. I will. I wrote that down. And then your name, just Lanisha Duke and all the other places that they can find you. Do you have a Venmo? Uh, I have PayPal. Yeah, PayPal. Okay. And they would use that Coastal Soul NW for PayPal? Yes. Okay, cool. But so, no, we are, a, we are a 501c3. Mm-hmm. All of, like, I have a board. Uh, we've been running our, our nonprofit since 2018 right so this isn't just this thing this is we've been working on where do we go where do we grow right um, and again with our partners with the Ford Family Foundation um, and so many other folks across the state uh, we're just looking to make impact positive impact for change in our rural communities um, and and make and helping so many more people understand that they're not alone and we are here we are showing up and we have gifts to share with our community. I love it. I absolutely love it. And the more more to the fact of the speaking to the fact that black folks are here in Oregon and I'm and I'm so happy that you're that you're pulling the network together is the the education for people in our communities, for white folks in our communities and for black folks really to understand the the spectrum of black experience, right? We're not all city folk. We're not all. <laughs> we're not all one type of. We don't. We're not all one type of people, right? There's we. And just because I fried chicken doesn't mean I'm from the south. But you know what I'm saying? And just because I live in the city and wear my boots, trust me, I'm about to send you a picture of them boots. Don't think I don't know how to start a fire and right. and be out there in the wood. I know how to do that too. You know what I'm saying? Right. <laughs> but let me send you a picture of these boots I'm about to wear today. <laughs> so, and the flip side of that, just real quick, not all white people are our enemies, right? Right, I of think, course. Um, I think we get so lost on symbolism, right? There's this big debate right now happening in Newburgh and other parts of the state to ban Black Lives Matter flags pride flags, anything that's considered um, political. And it's time for us to see each other, right? In my work, 
I have not specifically worked under the moniker Black Lives Matter. That's because um, I've been engaged in these conversations since I was in high school, right? And so it was before it was a hashtag, before it was a thing. Um, and, you know, and I, I like to use my words. And so to really get us to a place to where, you know, you see Confederate flags, you see Trump flags, okay, they're there, right? But that doesn't mean these people are inherently, like, you know what I'm saying? Um, people go, well, how do you hang out with Trump people? I'm like, if I didn't hang out with Trump people, I wouldn't be in the community that I'm in. Um, and we talk about it. Um, and we come, to, we don't have to agree on every everything, but we understand everyone's perspective because we've taken the time to invest in each other because we are in the same community. Yeah, well, bless your heart. <laughs> like that i'm just you know i am messing with you but it it is it's a part of it's a part of the you're absolutely right this division of you are a horrible person right is something that i i actually don't ascribe to however at this point in time for me i you will never get me to a point where i am like i won't sit there because you're sitting there right my, my question is, are, can you act right so I can have a dinner? Like, can we, can we ha- sit here and have a conversation? I don't choose to have those conversations, though, right? But that's because I have, I'm not living in Crow. Or I'm not living in, you know, in, uh, in counties where the predominant uh, voting was Trump. Like, I'm not living, I, I'm living in a space where I'm surrounded by Black Lives Matter Regardless of that, they know exactly what that means or not. Their heart is in the right lane. <laughs> you know what I'm but so I, I that's that's where you know the 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 racism that I deal with is is uh, more systemic and and uh, and ignorant and uh, you know without malice, but much more behind the ignorant lines rather than someone who would put a Confederate flag in front of my face to threaten me. Right. So I was. And, and- yeah. Yes, I respond to threat, right? So I, if there is no threat, look, I lived in Houston, Texas. I lived in, Louis, I mean, I lived in Louisiana, all that. It, it, I know how to be civil with people who don't like me. And I know people who are, don't like me know how to be civil with me. I'm fine with that, right? But once we're not civil anymore, then I got to be, I got to protect me and my own, right? And so that really, it's my question of Oregon's ignorance and, and their level of, their level of, how much they're trying to prove something to someone else, right? Now, I'm, if you're going to be civil, I'm going to be civil too. We can sit at this table and we can have dinner. If you're not going to be civil, then I'm going to have to go, right? <laughs> you know, okay. and so it's like that. It's like that for and me anyway. You, there's only been one place, in, yeah, and there's only been one place in Tillamook County that I won't take myself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that I have found to not be civil. There's only one space that I've walked in so far. Mm-hmm. That I've been like, just, yeah, like, I don't have to complain about it. I don't have to make a big to do, but I just know not to walk in those doors. Right. Is that, right. Yeah. Um, but there was an incident and I know we're going to be wrapping up shortly. Yeah, we are. Go ahead, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. We go. Real quickly. Like, there was an incident where someone in our community had a Confederate flag up and people used to ask me all the time, like, oh, doesn't it bother you? Right. And I'm like, no, because it's a flag. Right. Right. And with my belief. Um, and my again, based on my faith, I believe that any form of symbolism symbolism can be construed as a form of idolatry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so no matter what its disguise is, um, once we put any symbol before people, mm-hmm. it's going to prevent problems. No matter if it's it's a Black Lives Matter flag, a Confederate flag, American flag, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I get that. But at the same time, people go, let's look at the Black National Anthem, right? Bill Maher was just talking about the Black National Anthem. And why do we need that? Is it new? No, it's not new. No. It came around <laughs> in a time where it was all we had. Right. We can't get mad now that we can still hang on to that song, even though it is new for a lot of people. I've known that song my entire life. Entire so, life. But with the guy with the Confederate flag back to it, there were some folks in the community that don't look like us that asked him to take the flag down, got a phone call. Oh, were you a part of that? No, because it didn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had several conversations with him um, and his, you know, and his wife. He grew up in Virginia. It's part of his, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Who am I to tell him who he can and cannot be? Because then I would be a hypocrite in the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I don't need everybody to sleep on the bandwagon. I just need to provide the support for the people who are on the wagon. I, look, I okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna snap with that honestly because I tell people all the time. Look, I'm not here to convince you, right? Mm-hmm. This is not. I'm not trying to convince you of anything. This this is what I'm doing, and I'm and whoever whoever is walking with me is is always welcome. But I'm not gonna sit and try to convince anybody of their moral of their moral yeah. conflict. Or whatever's going on in their mind or, or their, in their culture. This is a time of transformation for all of us. Yep. And so we, it, it's really how are we going, how are you going to show up? And, you know, we had, every, we had, I was at, um, what lake was I at? It was at a, a lake over near Bend. And there's this, this person, this group of people had this, this um, they had this Confederate flag so big <laughs> it was it was like a banner. It was so big and he they had put it in the sand next to them. And where they were, there was Latin families and and black family. And this is like um uh, we were at um Crescent Lake. There was three Latin families and then there was us. And then there was these white folks with this I'm, I'm girl, when I say it was a, a billboard big of a of a Confederate flag and my and my daughter said, "Mom, Mom, they have a Confederate flag. I said, clearly they wanted everyone to know they had a Confederate flag, right? I said, just do, just do you. Don't worry about it. Just be aware and see how, and see how everybody, how everybody, you know, operates on this beach here or on this lake front here. And sure enough, nothing, you know, they definitely were looking at us. They were definitely watching just like we had our awareness of them as well. But we stayed the whole time, had a good old time, with no problem, did nothing happen. So you're right. Everyone has their journey. Everyone has their reasons. And everyone has their own, really, their, their own narrative to work with and work within. And we can only show up to be the best people that we can possibly show up and remember who we really are in the bigger scheme of things, in this larger collective of consciousness. Black folks are the foundation. We have, for me, I feel like it's it's within us to for it within it's within us to be graceful, right? <laughs> yes, right. So, Lanisha Duke, thank you so much for all of your knowledge and your faith, and your just your good heart coming through into Oregon and and sprinkling the love. I love the way you end your email, sprinkling the <laughs> just. 
with love. Yes, seasoned with love. You know, because I because you live it, and I I'm just I'm just so happy that you came onto my podcast, and I just hope that you come back and and tell us how you're doing, and tell us how it's been, and tell us all the good things of the Black Girl Network, so we can keep up with you. Most definitely, and again, thank you for having me. And I look forward to us getting to have a face-to-face in the near future. Can we please? Yes. Oh, perfect. Thank you so much. So right, right. right.